Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. We're going to get it. There we go. We are in our message series. I'm listening. Hearing God for breakthrough and blessing. Who needs some breakthrough and blessing in their life? Come on. No, no, no. Come on. We're going to do it. Do it. If you got my email, for somehow it got held up, but it didn't go out until like late last night. And uh, we're going to anoint everyone with oil at the end of service today. We're going to have an anointing service. We're believing for breakthrough and blessing. Run real quick housekeeping thing. Josh, all the white lights are on. He knows. He knows. He knows that. Josh knows that. He's not stupid. We're going to anoint everybody for uh, breakthrough and blessing at the end of service today. I believe God's going to do something special. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel chapter 3. We're going to start in verse, uh, where are we starting here? We're starting in verse 1. I'm in 2 Samuel, so that's going to be funny. If you ever preached and you go to like, tell somebody to go somewhere and you start reading, you're like, that ain't it. And then you got to start making up what you thought you meant. <laughs> and then you're like, this is just the wrong scripture and I'm just making stuff up right now. This don't have nothing to do with anything I'm talking about. You're like, see, David wasn't born yet. Why do I have David here? I start trying to give a the famous story. I know you know it. Now the boy Samuel was attending to the service of the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. But it happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to be poor and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. But the Lord called to Samuel and he said, here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down, and the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He called me. Here we go. Lights were doing funny stuff. I'm sorry. Verse 6. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna do 6 again. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. My son, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again in the third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called us and called as the other times. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, 
I'm going to do a new thing in Israel and both ears of everyone who hears about it will ring. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Mike. <clears throat> Hallelujah. We're in our new message series. I'm listening. And we have this uh, thing in Revival Kids that we did for years. And the kids would be loud and they'd say, ears. And everybody would say, I wish God would say that a little bit more often to some people, right? God is, God is constantly talking. That's not the problem. <clears throat> I grew up in, in Delray, as many of you know. And uh, when I was in, hey, come on, Delray. Yeah, yeah. And so in Delray, we had three games that I played growing up. We played Tonk. We played Spades. And then I played dominoes. And I played dominoes more than anything, but I found something. When I lived in my little town in Delray, I went to the old Carver, and we would play Tonk and when we should have been doing school, but that's what we did. That's just how things were back then. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and we would play spades, and, and uh, I, got, I got what I thought was pretty good at it. And uh, one day, I was in a different neighborhood in a different town, and they asked if we wanted to play some Tonk. Now, Tonk was a gambling game when I was in middle school, just to let you know my middle school background. I'm not a gambler, praise Jesus, but I was then, I suppose. I don't know how much you gamble with in middle school, but, <clears throat> but I, I was playing, and I went to this other place, and I was, I was winning as far as I thought. But then they told me I lost. And I'm like, what do you mean? I just thought they were scamming me. And they're like, no, 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 no. This isn't that. That's not this. We don't. I was like, no, no, no. Clearly the rules of Tonk are this. Everybody knows that these are the rules. And everybody around me was like, that's not how it goes. It goes like this. I'm like, first of all, I thought y'all trying to get me. I'm going to just have to, you know, go crazy on all y'all, right? Like, because that's my first natural response was people was out to get me. But what I learned that day was a valuable life lesson. Uh, we can think that we know the rules of something, but in a different context, there might be different rules. And we try to carry over the rules from one context into another context. And we get mad because things aren't going the way that we thought they were going to go when we didn't figure out how things work in this new environment. This, is, this, this was a valuable life lesson. I then learned that when I got into another neighborhood, I had to learn the rules of the streets of that neighborhood. I had to learn when you go into a new job, there's a different corporate environment in a new job. When you get a new group of friends, there's a different social dynamic among those friends. And unfortunately, I don't think it's racist, though you can go ahead and tell me, among different ethnic groups, there's different protocol socially, one thing could be absolutely expected in one ethnic group, and if you do it in another one, you're considered an idiot, an insensitive, ignorant person. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And that's not racist. It just, people can be different. Yeah. It's racist when you think that your different is worse because of who you are. See, that, that's, that we got to be able to talk about race a little bit in this country without being racist. we got to be able to have a little gracious about some language. Can, can I just talk about that for a second? Not even in my message, but I'm going to talk about it for a second. So my wife is mixed, right? My wife was, hello. And um, my, wife is, my wife is mixed but grew up in, a, in, in mostly white context, and, but my wife doesn't have white people hair. 
right? I'm telling my wife's story right now. I didn't ask her. She could tell me later if I blew it up, right? And if you're a person of color in predominantly white spaces, for some reason, white people want to touch your hair. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, just wave at me. If I'm saying the truth, just wave at me right now. If you know what I'm talking about. They just, right? And you think, oh, I'm just being innocuous touching the hair. And guess what? This ain't a lab animal. They don't want to be your pet. They don't, they, people of color are not looking to be pet. Okay? But, you're, but, but what people of color don't recognize is everybody I have ever known has hair like me, and your hair looks different, and I wonder what it feels like. I'm genuinely curious. I'm genuine. I just, I have never, I'm just really, now that we're friends, I would love to know what this feels like. <laughs> but you may want to explain that before you go put your hands on their head where they just spent $400 at the salon getting that thing put together. You're like, $400? Yes, it is expensive. I remember I lived in California. I had a white friend I worked with, and he had never been around people of color. He went to community college, and he's like, you cannot believe this. There's this girl in my class, and she has like the most perfect braids that are so long. I have no idea how she grew her hair that long. I was like, bruh, Jerry, let's have a conversation, man. Let's just sit down. Before you step to this girl, let's just, let's just have a conversation, right? Stay in your lane, right? I understand this is very intriguing to you, but just stay. So we, we, we got to learn how to have conversations about things that are outside of our zone. White people will just touch white people's hair. Oh, look how straight your hair is. But if you've got curly hair and you've been blowing it out for two hours, you don't want this happening. That is not something you want at all. My wife and I were on, uh, we were on our honeymoon. I tell this story. We were on our honeymoon, and um, we went to the Bahamas. First time I've been out of the country, I believe, other than Canada. And um, my, wife, my wife was a little anxious, like we hadn't spent a lot of time alone together. We were, we were Christian and we hadn't uh, traveled or done anything. We were saving ourselves and um, we, were in this, uh, we, we were at this uh, resort in the Bahamas and um, we took a little shuttle downtown to the other tourist areas. And, uh, and I'm thinking, here we are on this tropical, you know, I'm a, in case you didn't know, I'm white. Okay, just, just to put this out there, right? This is my, my ethnic background white, okay? I'm Italian and Irish, and uh, my wife and I were in downtown, uh, or in the tourist area of the Bahamas, and it started to rain, and I began thinking in my head, this tropical moment is happening right now. We're going to be walking through the rain in the Bahamas. We're going to be wet in love. <laughs> Me and her having a moment together that we'll remember forever, and my wife screamed and started running. I was like, why are you running from my moment? <laughs> I didn't recognize how long it took her to do her hair because I'm white. I just wake up, I put some stuff in it, my hair's good to go. I mean, like, ladies, my hair takes, I don't know, 80 seconds, maybe, maybe 20, I don't know. It does this, I comb it, it's good, I'm done. I'm done, right? And I didn't understand this cultural difference between her curly hair that I don't know, and, and my, my hair. See, there's, there's differences, and if we don't understand those differences, we do ignorant things like, can I go ahead and pet your head? Like, no, no, you cannot pet my head. Can I pet your children? Of course not, right? So then why would you want to pet my head? So there's some, we got to figure out the rules of where we're at in the different 
in different atmospheres. Do we feel closer now? Do we feel closer as a people? Was that okay, honey? You can tell me later if it wasn't. She still doesn't like me pen her head. She's telling me just move on with the message. This is what she's doing. She's giving me, like, get on, move on with it. Hallelujah. Thank you, honey. I appreciate that greatly. Um, so there's like these, we got we to figure out how to move in, in different spaces. But there are some things that it doesn't matter where you're from. You got to follow the rules. Now, I grew up in a neighborhood where like laws and stuff were optional, right? Like they were just, they were mere suggestions and you didn't necessarily, I mean, like, I don't know, people would have like a restaurant in their front yard. You know, they didn't have no kind of health inspection, right? If you had a grill and you had some picnic seats, you got a restaurant, right? There could be some barbecue. They could be making some potato salad, minimum temperatures, optional, right? Nobody cared. Nobody cared. People just did stuff, right? And you moved to Boca, and all of a sudden, you can't put up a carport without a, without a, without a, a, a permit, right? You, you can't work on your car without a permit. All of a sudden, all the rules matter all of a sudden. And, and so there, there, there are these optional rules in some areas. But there's other times that people find out you may think rules are optional, but they're not actually optional, there are some election interferers right now who are finding out that election laws were not optional. And when they said, don't rush the Capitol, not optional. Lots of people thought it was optional. And now there's a lot of people in jail because they thought it was optional. They didn't read the scene, right? They didn't read what was going on around them. This is Christianity. Christianity is a massive tent of people who recognize that Jesus Christ is Savior and that we're going to follow him because he died on a cross for our sins, but the Father raised him from the dead, and now he's alive in heaven ministering before the ark of God, sitting on the mercy seat, and through faith in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. This is not optional. This isn't negotiable. This is why we recite the Apostles' Creed. There is no other option. There's no other way to the Father but through His Son, Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? amen? I have these debates with people who don't know theology, who say, well, I'm like, no, actually, there's no well. We've settled this for 2,000 years. This is settled. This is not up for debate. You can think whatever you want, but at some point, you will become before the judgment seat of Christ, and you will find out that your opinion does not matter on these issues. There is truth, and there is a lie. But somehow people begin to think in this day and age that there are optional things about Christianity. We're, we're seeing a widened gap about what people believe regarding what Jesus taught about how to treat other people, about how to view the downtrodden, and how to view people who are marginalized, how to view one another, how to treat people you don't agree with. These things, actually, the Bible is very clear, are not optional. We don't get to treat people poorly simply because we don't agree with them. That's not optional. We have to love even the people who touch our hair when we don't want them to. That is not optional. You can set boundaries, but you still have to love. And Jesus taught many things about Christianity that today, theologically, people think is optional. He told us that he is going to leave, but it is better that he would leave. I hear some ringing. Can you make sure that everything's muted? He said it's better that he would leave because he would send his spirit. 
Now, if you think that your life would be different significantly if Jesus was still in the flesh sitting next to you, then you don't fully believe yet what Jesus said about the Spirit. Because he told us it would be better if he left. Because Holy Spirit would not only be among us, he would be in us. Jesus said he would never leave us. If you weren't here this morning, uh, when we started worship, we were talking out of Psalm 119, excuse me, 139. And we talked about how in 139, the psalmist said, I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Now we have two options regarding this scripture. Either we believe the word of God that we are wonderfully and awesomely made. And when God made me, he did something wonderful. Yeah. Or we believe a lie. Those are your options. It's not, you know, I'm working it out. You don't work out whether or not you believe a lie. We don't sit at a traffic light and the light turns green and we say, well, is that really the green I need? Is that the green for me? Or is that the green for other people? My truth says that when it's time for me to go forward, it'll be a striped letter. It'll be a striped sign. It'll, it'll actually dance and call me forward. No, 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 no. There are some laws about this thing. When it's red, you try to stop before it gets too red, right? And when it's green, you go, right? That's, 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 that's the reality of driving in South Florida, right? That's the reality. That's the, like the red is still green for a couple seconds, right? Because you're you just, you know, just a little bit. That's just, it's just like I, I mostly caught that. Like, mm, mm, did you though? Did you really? Right? But, but, but we don't get to reinvent what the lights mean. When it says green, we go or people in South Florida will honk at you instantly, right? Like I, like I wonder how folks in the Mercedes see it's green and start honking while it's not even green yet. Like, like it's a, it turns green and like they think that their horn accompanies the green light. Green, like just come on, man. I'm, I got to finish this text if you don't mind. I'm doing something right. But anyway, no, no. <laughs> but, 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 but when it turns green, you go. We don't make these things up. And, and, and we wouldn't go to a court and be like, Your Honor, I just decided that today red meant go. They would say, Well, that's great. Here you get a ticket, right? And there's things we got to recognize. Jesus said that you are fearfully, wonderfully made, that you are, that when he did, when he created you, he created something great. And if you do not believe that, it's time to get alone with God and figure out why you don't believe his word. No condemnation. Don't beat yourself up because the devil has been lying to you already. You don't need more condemnation on top of the lies. That, but if you don't think that you're great, it's time to get along with God and be like, what lies am I believing that says I'm not great? Right? Like we got we to gotta look at this word like it actually is truth. It's red or it's green. We believe it or we don't believe it. You were created in your father's image. That's something that needs to be settled. And we have this... In this, day, in this day and age, there's, this, there's something happening where I believe there is a, a dissatisfaction in the church. There's a, there's, a, there's a growing dissonance between what we're supposed to believe and what we actually believe. There's a great de-churching happening right now, and, and I believe that there is a common thread behind it. People are tired of people's rules, and people don't have the manifest presence of God. 
And we somehow have been taught that we can live this life without the presence of God's Spirit. Without living in the presence of God. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with our lives? Are we going to follow God? Are we going to follow the ways of the world? We're at a holy moment, I believe, in the church in the West. I I believe that we are at a holy inflection point. I, I, I believe that there's an interior conflict happening in the body of Christ. And I believe it's being prompted by Holy Spirit. I do not believe it's an attack of the devil. I believe it is God saying, are you going to believe what I say or are you going to go the ways of man, the ways of power, the ways of violence, the ways of force? Or will you go the ways of grace? It's a holy moment. I think, I think there's a great confusion that I see in the body of Christ. <clears throat> there's a great confusion that is saying, man, I know I'm supposed to be a God follower, but are we really following God? I'm looking at the way people plant and grow churches these days, and it looks exactly like the way that Tesla sells cars. It looks exactly how they promote a concert tour. And I'm not against any of the smoke and lights and all that, but I wonder if rampant spiritual consumerism is good for the body of Christ. We, we talked about the cruise ship earlier, if you missed it, uh, earlier in the service. Uh, I was on social media yesterday, and I know we're not supposed to covet, right? I understand that. Uh, I don't go on Instagram that often. I'm rarely on, to be honest. And um, <clears throat> I saw that the Rajkumars were on the largest cruise ship I'd ever seen in my life. And I said, be still thy heart <laughs> to take courage. God has, a, God has a vacation for you as well. And... Uh, I was like, honey, did you see the cruise ship? And uh, I forgot Raquel works for a cruise line or works for a company that works with cruise lines and they were just taking a tour of a cruise ship. Raquel, I just declare in the name of Jesus that you and your husband will travel on an amazing cruise ship. I just, (laughs) I don't know if you even want to, but I pray that you would have the ability to do that. And uh, me too, you know, why not? (laughs) We could all go. Let us just declare that breakthrough and blessing of the cruise ship, the largest cruise ship in world's history. We could just change the culture there. But I, I, I believe, I believe um, you know, there, there's this confusion, and, and I just, I feel like there's, a, there's an inflection point in the church, as I said. The, 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 the greatest tragedy in our church today, regardless of whatever your favorite preacher is telling you or whatever pseudo-Christian is telling you it's not it's not political it's 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 not you know do we believe in this atonement theory or that atonement theory or are we biblical literalists or that that those aren't those aren't the big that's not what i believe to be the greatest challenge in the church today the greatest challenge in the church today is there's godless christianity it's godless it's a christianity that's based on a worldview that does not depend on God. It's did, it's a deist worldview where God set the world in motion and now we are to be the heroes of our own story. That, that our church or our lives or our personal families are going to look just like a Marvel movie. 
And the hero of the movie is not God or the Word or the Spirit or the cross, but us. That's a godless Christianity. And there's a great battle today on whether or not the church in the West will radically trust God. Ah, you, you can teach all you want. You can give all the self-help seminars and the financial seminars. You put all of those in a large pile and you lay them on a sick body and I promise you they will not be healed. They are not going to repair a marriage. They are not going to set people free from addiction. They're, they're not going to fix the sin problem that has separated man from God. Only faith in God will do any of these things. None of those things. Amen. 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 And, and, and we have a church today that can't hear God. They don't know his leading. Don't, don't have an inner witness about the issues of the day. We, where we're going in this new year as a church and for me individually is going to require that we hear God. It, it, the, the, I'm telling you, from the people, the, the prophets I talk to, uh, and what I see happening by the Spirit in the world today, if you do not hear God, people have learned to shape messages in a way that sound so Christian, but they sound nothing like Jesus. It's a godless Christianity. It is a telling us what we want to hear. It tells us that the price of this is, is just this, and then there's all kind of hidden fees. It, it, it's, a, it's a message that doesn't bring freedom to captives, does not restore the lost sight to the blind. It doesn't give the lame the ability to walk. It keeps you more dependent on the people around you than God himself. And it wasn't always like this. God said in his word that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And then he said, only the unshakable things will remain. Can you give me a little more volume, please? Only the unshakable things will remain. Well, how do you know what's shakable and what's unshakable? There's only one way. A little bit of shaking going on. And there's a little bit of shaking going on in the church right now. There are ministries that I'm very, very, um, I have been very, I don't want to say close to, but followed very closely over the years that are just having scandal after scandal after scandal in their ministries. And we say, what, what happened here? And what happened was man worship. It, 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 it became apostle worship and prophet worship. The, the major Achilles heel of the modern apostolic and prophetic movements is that we allowed these men to somehow be mediators between God and man. It's a position that no man should ever have. No one who disciples you should take the voice of Jesus from your life. They should help you to hear Jesus more clearly. Not, man, I had Jesus, but now I have Jesus, and this apostle telling me the things I can't hear from Jesus. Eh. Godless Christianity. I'm, I'm, I'm heartbroken. I don't want to go down that road, but I'm heartbroken over the scandals that I'm hearing about these days, and it wasn't always like this. When Paul, in Acts, Paul was um, ministering to the, like, Paul was like a, a, a brainiac, a mega genius. He was just, he was smart. If you read 
Hebrews and Galatians and you're like, or Galatians and Philippians and, and, and the writings of Paul and are like, I don't necessarily know what he's talking about here. That's not because you're dumb. It's because Paul is brilliant and he's writing in a style that is super educated. And Paul wasn't just some guy saying, well, I just know Jesus will do it. No, Paul knew. He had theology. He had rhetorical skills. And he was able to go with the greatest philosophers of his day, the Greek philosophers on Mars Hill. And the philosophers back then were like the, the rock stars of the day. And they studied the, the great philosophers and they studied the religions of the day and they were able to debate and argue in such logical ways that people were not able to compete with it. And Paul in, was on Mars Hill with these people and he says to them, he says to them, you know, I see that you guys are, 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 are looking for the unknown God. I see that you're groping in the darkness trying to find him. You, you don't see him. You're, you're searching around just feeling, but, but this God in him, we live. In him, we move. In him, we have our being, the, the Bible says. This is what Paul was able to say. I, I, I know that you don't hear him, but it's, he's not impossible to hear. Because us, we live in his presence. We live in a way that he's tangibly in our lives. We're not searching anymore. We've actually found him. But that is the gap. The, the gap here is the reality of Scripture with the reality of how many Christians live today. People don't even realize that they haven't heard from God in who knows how long. People, people don't even recognize, man, I'm going through all these issues and I, I don't know what to do and I've been anxious about it for days or weeks or months and not only have I not heard God about this, I haven't even really tried to hear God. And not only that, the fact that I haven't heard God doesn't even really bother me. We call ourselves followers of Christ, but we don't even know where he is to follow. John Maxwell said, if you're leading and nobody's following, you're just out for a walk. And so if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you don't know where he is, guess what? You're not actually a follower. Where are you following him to? I was going to have some testimonies this morning, but I had a feeling I was going to preach long, so we'll do it next week. But I have heard the most amazing testimonies of what's happening in our prison ministry I've talked to so many of you of what God is doing through your lives and through your minute. It's just the testimonies I'm getting is, is awesome. So I'm here to encourage you that God is actually talking. God is actually leading people in this day, in this hour. And unfortunately, to fill this gap of people who don't hear God, there's a proliferation on social media. I don't know if you've heard it. There is a proliferation of men on social media who are leading people without Jesus. And I got to tell you, there are men I don't want my son to emulate. These men are misogynists. They, 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 in order to make men feel stronger, they have to put women down. Have you seen this, this trend? That's not, that's not manliness. No, that's cowardice. That's misogyny. There's, it's a godless Christianity. People today are looking for an identity because they don't know that they come from the lineage of God. 
I am wonderfully made. I'm marvelously made. When you made me, you did something awesome, God. This is who I am. And so here, this leads to our question today. How do you know? How do you know that you're part of God's family? How do you know that God is with you? How do you know how to follow where God is leading? How can we know that I am connected to God in a way that I don't have to walk in darkness? How can you come to a place where you say, I may feel frightful, but I am not alone? This is what we want to talk about in this series. So much of what we get anxious about is because we simply don't know how our life is going to go. We just don't know. We don't know how our kids are going to turn out. We don't know what our finances are going to look like. We just don't know. And unfortunately, the church today doesn't know any better than the world who doesn't have God. We're like those people on Mars Hill groping in the darkness, hoping to land where God has us. I want to know that I know that I'm a part of God's family in a way that makes anxiety go away. How about you? I want to know that I am not alone. This was never God's plan. Let me, let me tell you this. We were created to know. Put on my next slide, please. We were created to know that God, we were created to know God and to feel safe in his care. This is what we were created for. If you're not sure what the purpose is for your life, you were created to know God and to feel safe in his care. But how do we do that? How can we move in a way that we are secure in the knowledge that God is with us? How can we know that God knows where I am, what I'm doing, and he knows how to get me there? I mean, we got to come to the place where we can surrender to the fact that God is God and I am not. That is two separate revelations. There is a God in heaven who saved me, and I am not him. I need the one who's there to bridge reality, the real reality, and where I'm at. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Literally, creation is shouting at us about how good God is. We miss it. And, and, and we don't know what's going on, even though creation is shouting to us. Then the reason I ignore a lot of what I hear on social media Christians say, what I hear the popular Christian talk, talk hosts say, is because um, they, 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 it seems they don't even know the basics of the Bible story these days. The first sin recorded in the Bible was not Adam and Eve eating from the tree of good and evil. The first sin in the Bible was that they believed the lies of the devil. <laughs> oh, did God say that? God wants you to not be powerful like him. No, there's the first lie right there. That's the first sin. The first sin is believing the lie of the devil. Now, we just came through a message series where we talked about how the lies of the devil appeal to our disordered desires, which are normalized in sinful society. It all starts with lies, though. We have to know the truth. We, ha we have to know it. We have to know that there is a liar 
We are listening to the liar. That's where most of our insecurities come from. That's where most of our fears come from. We believe the lie over God. The liar, who in that first story is called the serpent. He's a low-down, dirty snake in the grass. That's where that saying comes from. That's who he is. And Adam and Eve didn't tell the serpent to shut up. You are a lie. It's established in my heart that God is the truth and everything else is a liar. Now, if you're a follower of God, this devil is going to do the same thing to you. He's going to lie against God to you, and he's going to lie about you to other people. This is what the liar does. He lies. You ever known a person who's a liar? They couldn't tell the truth, even if it would be better for them. They just make up lies that you catch them in. You're like, you're just lying to lie. Do you even know how to tell the truth? The devil always covers things in a lie. But if you're a follower of God, we can discern his voice. No, no, no. See, God, 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 contrary to so many of the things I see today, he's no tyrant. God is for you. God is with you. God is love. And everything else is a lie. Can you say amen? amen. We're in a holy moment. And I am trying to provoke you. You see, there are different gifts in the church, the Bible says, this fivefold ministry that Paul called the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachings. These are, these are separate anointings that God functions is. And in our house, sometimes we have been teaching, and sometimes there's exhortation, and sometimes there's prophetic. And we've done a lot of teaching in 2023 because I believe God was getting us ready for something in 2024, that when the Spirit falls, we can hold it in tension with truth. Like, yes, I understand you feel this, brother, but I am telling you that is sin. We are not do We are learning to move into the presence of God with our brains on. Amen? This is where we're at. We're in a holy moment right here. God, I believe, is drawing us. It's a holy moment. It's, 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 it's a moment that God is constructing right now. I don't know if you felt the draw. I don't know if you felt the pull, but it, it, it's, it's only holy because I see, I see the tragedy of people not hearing God, of people not being able to discern the voice of God. I had a, a leader in this church that people came to them with all kinds of lies and accusations, and she was like, I don't, I don't know everything, but that doesn't sound like God. What you're saying right now, this, this is not God. I don't know if it's the truth or if it's a lie, but what you're, this is what you're doing. This is not God. And there's so much in the church today who cannot discern that. And, 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 and let me tell you, th this moment is sacred for a reason. Because when we recognize that things are out of order by the Holy Spirit, that's not a bad thing. That conviction on us is not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. When you go to the doctor and they say, hey, that thing we found in you, that's got to get operated on. Praise God, because up until that moment, it was going to stay in you. But now it's going to come out of you. The problem is when you don't know there's a tumor growing inside of you and it keeps growing. That's bad. When you get to the doctor and they say, there's a tumor growing in you, we're going to take it out. That's good. God gives us pain in our body to know, I don't know what's going on, but something ain't right. That's a warning. That is, that is a holy thing that God has given us. I got to deal with this thing because it doesn't feel right. Now in the spirit, I am just sensing, and I would like to know if you as well, I'm sensing a holy moment where God is saying, listen, 
People don't hear God. And this is causing a pain in the body of Christ where false apostles and false prophets and false pastors are coming in and giving foul doctrine and wicked teachings that don't actually benefit the body but are actually tumors sucking the life from the body of Christ for its own benefit. And I believe the Holy Spirit is revealing this, but He's not just revealing it so we can cut out the tumor. He's revealing it so that we can be healthy enough to say, oh, this is not right. I've been tired for too long. I've been sick for too long. I haven't been able to do what I needed to do for too long. And I began to take naps to deal with it, or I began to dial back my activities to deal with it. But I can't do that anymore. I can't live like this anymore. I got to become healthy, you see, because the Holy Spirit came in and showed you, listen, this is not the life I have for you. This is not the life that I created you for, where someone lords over you and keeps you down. I've created you to flourish. I've created you to walk in life. This is a holy moment. And so in this holy moment that we see, man, God actually has something better for me. It's a grievous holy moment. It's a grievous holy moment. These are the best kind of holy moments. You see, I I, I might be preaching to the choir right now, and you may not fully understand this, but I feel like this is a word I just have to release to this church. And if you don't quite get it, that's okay. Ask me about it. But I I, I think the best kind of holy moments, I've been in worship where the Spirit comes down, and you see heaven, and wonderful things are happening, and you soak in the river, and funny things happen, and you laugh, and you giggle, and you go home, and, and a week later, your life's no different. Anybody been there? I like them. I like more of them. But there's something. There's something about when your child is sick in the middle of the night. And you're like, God, I got a word for this child. You called them. And I will not allow the devil to steal this one that you have given me. And I will pray. And I will fast. And I will cry out to God. Because I know you have something better. Or the rent is due and eviction is coming. And you say, God, you promised me that the money would come through. And I cannot live in this lack. I know you have something better for me. Or you're in a relationship where you're being dominated. And you're being held down. And people are lying on you. And you're like, God, this is not who you are, something in you senses the holy is calling you to something better, but it comes from a place of deep, deep grief that you're willing to cry out. And then the Lord in the midnight hour breaks your child's fever or the money comes in the mail or you get delivered from a relationship and next week you're like, my life is different. God has marked my life in this holy moment and I will remember this for the rest of my life. That is a grievous, holy moment that we have to treasure with Jesus. We just so try to avoid the pain, we don't get to move into the grief of calling on God. We just learn to live with it. And I want you to feel good today, but I want you to feel good because God has come through. 
as you study the Scriptures, the fast that God calls time and again is the grievous, holy fast. Us charismatics got a hold of the fast and all of a sudden it became the, the, the lottery machine. It became, the, it became when you put in your coins, ching, I don't eat for lunch and then I get a car. Ah, it's, it's not, no, it's nowhere in the Bible. When, when, when we study the, when we study the scriptures, it's, 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 it's not what it is. What happens in the scriptures is there would, be a, there would be a tragedy would happen in the camp and the people would say, we need God. We're calling a fast. God, we need you to come through in this situation. And God would speak. This is the fast we're having for this 21 days of prayer and fasting. And for the purpose of this talk, and who's already gone longer than I had planned, but I haven't even touched the scriptures yet, so just hold on for me for a little bit here. This is how Scott McKnight defines it. Next slide, please. He says, fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. Fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. In the Jewish culture, when someone dies, they do a ritual. It's called a sit shiva. And for seven days, you put an uncomfortable stool on the ground and you sit on this uncomfortable stool. And all your friends come and bring you food, but you don't eat because you're grieving. You're grieving the loss of your loved one and only God can heal that pain. And your friends keep bringing food. People just come the entire Shiva week until you get breakthrough and you begin to eat. This, this is the fast that God calls. This is what I want our house to see. I want us to enter into 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now, most times, when you enter into a fast, you start out hot and heavy. Anybody remember that? You ever start fasting and it's like two hours, you're like, I'm, I'm going to go a day. And then you go into three hours, you're like, maybe I'll do three days. And then you go like a day and you're like, maybe I'll do 40 days. Anybody in the band that maybe it's just me? You know, maybe I'll do 40. Then you get to day two, you're like, well, three days ought to be good. And <laughs> later on in the day, you're like, maybe today I should start eating. I don't, I don't, I don't I'm maybe, and then that's the end of the prayer and fasting for you right there. That's, that's it. Two days in. That's it. Maybe God will come through for me. I don't, I've done a lot of fasting and that's, we're going to do something a little different here. We're going to do, we're going to do the opposite in this prayer and fasting. We're going to ease into this. We're going to spend the first week. Now, if God has called you to fast in this week, he's already spoken to you about it. I want you to honor what the Lord has told you. But if you go on the link in our socials, you go on the front page of our website, there's a, there's a, a little pamphlet you can download that we made on this, uh, a PDF you can download. Um, it'll be in the newsletter every Monday. There is a Sunday follow-up newsletter that comes out. If you don't get that email, you can sign up on the bottom of our website. There's a, there's a form, bless you. There's a form. Also, every day by about two, the message, including all that text, is on the website. The video, the audio, the questions, reflection on the week. And so on Monday, we send you how to walk out this message during the week. On Tuesday, I put out a podcast every single week that I call The Overflow. 
and I talk about all the stuff that wouldn't fit in the message that God talked to me about, background stuff, biblical stuff, whatever. I try to keep it under 10 minutes. On Thursday, I have a podcast that comes out that's called Spirit Word Power. Talk about how to look at the Bible in a way where you can get the Word of God at work in your life. So this week, uh, we are going to start off slow. And what I want us to do is, I want us to be hungry for the presence of God. This first week, I want us to just stoke the flames of desire that we would be hungry for God. We, we, we want to lean in. By the second week, we're going to do something different. But in the first week, we're going to read John, 1 John 1 every single day. Let's say that together. 1 John 1 every day. Now, if you're new to the Bible, 1 John is not the first John you get to. All right, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then there's Acts. Then there's Romans. And there's a bunch of books. Keep going until you get to 1 John, right? 1 John, first chapter. We're going to read that first chapter every day. Okay, what are we doing on day two? We're going to read 1 John 1, all right? That's what we're going to do. We're going to read it because John had this relationship with Jesus that I desperately want. He had a relationship with the resurrected Jesus that I desperately want. Now, in the final few moments here, I have uh, three minutes <coughs> left in my... I'm going to go into my first point. That was the introduction. That was the introduction. So um, this is going to um, be abridged. I want to look at the scriptures here. I want to look at the scriptures today on what they did about not hearing God. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is a, excuse me, yeah, this is a, a well-known passage of scripture. Excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 3. <clears throat> In the story, I want to point out four things very quickly from the story today. The, 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 whoops, we're not there, we're not there. We, we, well, here we go. Here we go. All right. We're almost there. First John chapter 1. Here we go. First John chapter, excuse me, First Samuel chapter 3 verse 1. It says, Now the boy Samuel was attending to the service of the Lord before Eli, and word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Are you getting visions? Is the word of the Lord frequent in your life these days, or is it infrequent? Here's, here's what's so important and that, that, that we got we to gotta, we gotta recognize. They recognize they weren't hearing God. Are you hearing God? And I say this with no condemnation. I, I say this, I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I don't want you to, don't come to church to feel worse about yourself. I want to create a holy dissatisfaction. I want that grievous feeling like, man, the Father sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross so that I can have relationship with Him. And He sent His Spirit to live on the inside of me so I can hear God. And I don't. And that's a problem. That's the conclusion we want to get to. That is a problem. And we need to recognize I am not hearing God in the things I want to hear about. We have been talking about thankfulness, re, re, reframing the issues of our lives to give God credit for them. We need to recognize that this is a grievous, sacred moment. I am recognizing I don't hear God and I need to. I really need to. Israel, they had a time where they heard God. 
They were created with the call on Abraham. God spoke to Isaac. He spoke to Jacob. He spoke to Joseph and his sons. And God moved all through their midst. And Moses eventually was raised up out of Egypt and heard God to set the people of God free. And he was able to do miracles because he heard God. And he went to Egypt and battled Pharaoh and brought the Jews out of Egypt and led them through the desert. He had fire at night and a cloud by day leading them. We're talking about a man in a lesser covenant who heard God. And they got to the edge of the promised land and he passed away. And then Joshua heard God and led them into the promised land. And they defeated the, whoop, they defeated the enemies all around them. And Joshua brought them brought these people when the ark with the word of the Lord was with them and, and, and he built a tabernacle. And in this tabernacle, they placed the ark and in the ark were the three things. If you remember, Aaron's budded rod and the, the, the showbread, excuse me, the, the, the manna from heaven that we talked about last week that we have to keep before us as a testimony. And finally, the Ten Commandments were in this ark that he put in the holiest place inside the tabernacle, and, and, and they set this place, what's called on Shiloh, is where they built this tent. And on Shiloh, there was a large tented wall, and in the outer court, there was the, uh, there was a, the, the altar of um, sacrifice. And in the holy place, there was this altar of incense, and there was the lampstand, and there was a wash basin, and in the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant. Excuse me, the lampstand was in the, in the Holy of Holies, in the Ark of the Covenant, and God would come down in this tabernacle, this tent at Shiloh, and he would fill the place with his glory, and, and, and this, this, this is what Israel's promise was, and yet here they were at a place 300 years later, and they didn't hear God anymore. Literally all around them was a testimony of God and they didn't hear God anymore. And it didn't bother them. Visions were infrequent. And this is what we need to be real about. Are we where we want to be with God? Am I okay that God just got me out of what I used to be in and now I'm here? Is this good enough? Am I, is this good enough? We got to get real. Is this the relationship I thought I would have with God at this point in my life? Is this the fruit I thought I would have at this point in my life? It, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was 400 years after Malachi before John the Baptist showed up on the scene. And for 400 years, they had dead religion with no voice. In Acts 2, the, the Holy Ghost fell. And Peter said, this is that which was promised by the prophet Joel that he would pour out his spirit on all nations, that your young men would have visions and your old men would dream dreams and on your daughters and sons the spirit would fall and they would prophesy. But that promise wasn't as important to them as their dead religion. They never had this sacred, holy moment like we need. Do I hear God? We read in this text, hey, we know we're not hearing God like we need to. And I'm going to do something about it. The second thing I want you to see, the Bible says, next slide please. The next thing I see is they kept the lamp burning 
and they stayed near the ark. Take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 2. It says, But it happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. He couldn't see very well. He was old. Verse 3, And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Oh, I, I don't know if you caught that right there. So, 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 so Samuel was a boy. And God had done a miracle for his mom so that she could have a baby. And so she dedicated her child to the Lord and said he would serve in the temple. Now, not only did he serve there in the tabernacle, the Bible says that they weren't hearing God, but it wasn't Samuel's fault. If you wanted to find Samuel, where'd you find him? Right near the ark. Right near where the testimony was. I need y'all to hear this. He was right next to the testimony right next to where God's glory would come down. Right in the presence of where he knew God was. I, I, he may not be working in my life, but I know where he is working, and I am going to be there. I want to get in proximity of that. I've been shopping for a new car. Uh, you know, there's uh, Cash App, one cool pastor, right? Number one cool pastor, if you want to <laughs> sow a seed. It's the number one cool pastor. All right, if you know, uh, if, if God so moves on your heart, and uh, I've been uh, <laughs> I've been looking for a car, been shopping around, and and got my budget worked out, and uh, I got a text from somebody, and they're like, "You're not going to believe this." I'm like, "What? What is it?" And they said they have a friend who, uh, long story short, uh, I think that just oh, is it still on? Are we good? Oh, what do you know? I don't know what that was. And so the friend, they had like a five year old car just given to them. Brand new tires, detailed interior, the whole thing. And this person makes more money than I do. And I had two options right there. Am I going to be jealous? Maybe a little bit. Like, like, like Raquel's cruise, right? A little, a little, little jealous. But I didn't. My wife and I, we looked at each other and we just said, hey, God is in the neighborhood. God is in the neighborhood. God has given away cars. Come on, somebody. I want to keep myself near the testimony of God. I want to be right near what God is doing. I'm not going to mess it up with my bitterness or with my offense. I am going to be right near where the ark was. I want to be close to it. This is the holiest place. The holiest place of God in the Old Testament. The testimony was kept there. We learn here, that's where Samuel would sleep. Man, I want to lay down in the testimony of God. Before we go to bed at night, my wife and I, we hold hands, and we thank God for everything good that went well that day. We bless our kids, pray for sleep, pray for you all, go to bed. I want to sleep in the testimony of God. The, the lamp, the lamp had seven, you've seen the Hanukkah lamps, right? They're not actually Hanukkah lamps, right? That's the lamp stand that would be in the tabernacle and later in the temple. And, and what happened was, uh, much, much, much later, after Malachi, uh, the Maccabees were trying to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem, right? And uh, it didn't work so well, right? The, the Romans were stronger. And that seven-candled lamp, there are seven branches, but one of them have to be burning night and day so you can light the other ones. That's why he's saying keep the fire lit. And they ran out of oil because Rome was choking them out. And the Maccabees, they prayed. And for eight days and eight nights after the oil had run out, that flame kept burning. And so now, on Hanukkah, Jews all over the world celebrate that 
even under persecution, God will give us the ability to keep the flame burning even when we don't see it. Some of y'all have miracle healings. Some of y'all have financial healings three years ago that you don't celebrate anymore. Some of y'all had cried out for God to do something for you and you already forgot about it. They've been celebrating this for 2,000 years. One little, one little light. They got one light bulb for, two, eight, for eight days. God gave them a light for a week and they've been celebrating it for 2,000 years. You even know about it. You're not even Jewish. This is how well they keep the testimony alive. There's something we can learn about this. Focusing on the testimony don't mean that your problems aren't a big deal, but complaining about your problems certainly don't make God any bigger. We need to keep the testimony of God's miracle in front of us. Amen? They knew that there was value to be in the house of God. And I hope you find value in the house of God as well. The third thing I want you to see here in this is I'm kind of rushing through it. Next slide, please. Samuel did not know the voice of God. Look at this. 1 Samuel 3, starting in verse 4. He says, The Lord called Samuel and said, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. So this boy, he heard a voice and he thought it was a disciple. I want you to hear this. If you want to hear God, get somebody who knows God in your life. Because God is going to sound like them. Sometimes we got to hear it in somebody discipling us so we can hear it in God. Watch this. He ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Go lay back down. So he went down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. My son, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not know yet. Anybody see that? Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. God was talking to him, yet the scripture says the voice of the Lord was not revealed to him. Well, what do you mean it wasn't revealed to him? He wasn't in relationship with someone to teach him the voice of God. He did not know the word of God. It wasn't revealed to him. He did not know the word. How many times is God calling and we're missing it? Man, that's what I think about. How many obstacles in our lives are really open doors to other opportunities, but we've not learned in all things, give thanks. How, 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 many, how many things in our lives do we need to get the word of the Lord in us? The Lord spoke to me recently, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to go through this quickly. I was like, God, what, how do I prepare for this next season? I sense where you're taking us. I know you want to move by your spirit. And I'm thinking he's going to tell me to do the things I used to do. And here's what he said to me. I need you to soak in my word. I need you to get baptized in my word. I need you to find your fellowship in my word. Oh, God was calling me. He's calling me to know him greater. He's calling me for greater discipleship, greater intimacy. The Lord is speaking and drawing. And this is what we want to do in this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Let me tell you, you're, you're one encounter with God away from your breakthrough. 
You are one encounter with God away from the fog being lifted, from seeing clearly what God has for you, for knowing how to, what you need to say to your loved one who needs to know Jesus, to that person you've been praying for to come to faith. One encounter away to unlocking that door. Eli was there to get Samuel discipled. And we here want to see you know God's voice and respond. God may be moving in your life in ways you don't even know yet, but you need relationship with people to hear his voice. In John 1, we, we read about Nathaniel. Nathaniel, of course, was brought to Jesus by Philip. He was like Eli. Philip had known Jesus and he went to Nathaniel and said, come on, you've got to come see him. You've got to come meet him. You've got to come hear his voice. And Nathaniel goes to Jesus and Jesus is like, I knew you when you were sitting under the fig tree. And you'd be like, what was the fig tree to do with it? You know what? We don't have any idea what Jesus said to Nathaniel under the fig tree. But something happened between him in God, in that holy moment, that he did, well, I want you to hear this, just like Samuel heard something from God and was not able to discern it until someone who knew God came along and helped him discern, hear me, Nathaniel had an encounter under the fig tree, but did not recognize it to be God. Philip brought him around Jesus. Jesus spoke to him. I saw you under the fig tree. All of a sudden, what he had been encountering made sense and the word of the Lord was made clear to him. This is what happens when you get somebody plugged into the house of God that began knowing Jesus. Come on up, worship team, if you would. Only history knows what Nathaniel said, but I believe, I believe that there were dreams in his heart. I believe there's dreams in your heart. We're going to lay hands on everybody in a second here. We're going to do the fourth song, all right? But when the word of the Lord comes, your heart becomes inflamed. Very quickly, I'm trying to go quickly, I'm sorry. Stick with me for a moment. You got me for a couple more minutes? All right, good. No, no, go back to my message. Things just moved on me here. Here we go. There's three things I, God spoke to me about this, this, this early part of this year. He said, look back, be present, dream forward. Look back, be present, dream forward. I'm going to talk more about this in the coming weeks. But some of us aren't healed enough to look backwards. Let me just leave this in your spirit and I'll talk about it more another day. God has brought a healing to your past that you don't even know yet because you're too scared to go there to see it. And we're so running from our past, we can't be present. And we're so scared, we can't actually dream forward. God wants you to be able to dream forward again. I believe God is restoring a prophetic witness in this house. He is, re he is restoring a prophetic witness in this house where we can dream forward with God. And fourth, and the final thing I want you to see out of this passage of Scripture, they responded to God's call. And this is what I hope you will do today. I hope you'll respond to God's call. Verse 8 is 
says, so the Lord called Samuel again for the third time. And he got up and went. And Eli said, here I am. For you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called it the other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, what's he saying? Speak, for your servant is listening. Oh, well, it's down there somewhere. Speak, for your servant is listening. I'm sensing a call of the Spirit. I, I'm in the Word. going to try to explain this as best I can. I've tried to articulate this at least 15 times with different people this year, and hopefully I'll do better this time. These men that Jesus discipled, they knew him as good. They knew him as rabbi. They knew him as a miracle worker. They knew that he did lots of stuff. They knew he was a holy man, but I certainly don't think they knew he was the son of God. And I really don't think they thought that he was God in the flesh. And then eventually, Jesus was murdered. And he came back. And they saw him. And I got to believe that when they saw him come back from the dead, they knew. Oh, he's different. He's not like the other, he's this, I don't know what, but he's different. And then we know it was only 50 days from there till Pentecost. He only walked with them a little over a month. Then the spirit fell. And in the next 30 years or so, they wrote most of the New Testament. And in that 30 years, by the time people started writing, something happened who they knew Jesus to be. Now, yeah, they walked with him, but they didn't get here is God become flesh when they walked with him. I, I don't believe that at all. They got that from the resurrected Jesus. They got that by the Spirit. This Jesus, this God-man whom we knew, he's different. In him, say this about somebody you know. In, in Duke, I live and move and have my being. No, you don't say that about people you know. My wife is, is wonderful, but I don't ever tell people, write letters like, the glory of God was manifest in front of me and I beheld his glory in Tracy. You know, like, I, yes, I'm thankful. But Jews don't use that kind of language for people. They use that kind of language for God. And as I'm reading this scripture, as I'm reading what David heard from God about himself, when I read about how John described the ascended Lord, when I, when I, when I read about how Paul, who murdered Christians, knew this God in a way that radically transformed how he dealt with the world, I'm like, I really want that. 
like, I really, really want that. And I got to tell you, I don't think that came from me. I believe this is a grievous, sacred moment that God has created for me, telling me, God, Carl, Carl, I got more for you. I really got more for you. And you have settled for something less. That's an invitation. And I want us to respond. Stand with me if you want. tell you we need to do whatever we need to do to hear God. We need to do whatever we need to do to hear God. And I'm convinced that fasting is a natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. I don't want to miss this. Now, I've had teaching series, and I believe this is more of a prophetic series where we are stirring our hearts to want God. And I'm going to take this oil, like it says in the Bible, and I'm going to quickly anoint you. And I wish that I could say that heaven is going to open and everything's going to change, but no human has that kind of power. Jesus does, though. And the Bible tells us that there is something that happens when the elders of the church lay hands on you and anoint with oil. And I am believing, I am believing today that God is going to speak to each of us in this next 21 days in a way that draws us able to say yes I have a glass of wine with dinner every night but for a couple weeks I'm just not going to have alcohol or, or, or I'm just getting off social media for a while or I don't know what you need to do in this first week to stoke the flame my wife and I beginning of the year started abstaining and setting ourselves apart in preparation for this I would invite you into it not so that you can hit the Holy Ghost jackpot But you get the greatest gift ever, the voice of God in your life. Where the confusion is washed away, clarity for the future comes, and we can boldly say, hey, I know you're groping for God as a blind man, but as for me and God, in Him I live. In Him I move. In Him is my essence. Or another translation say, I have my being. In Him is my essence. This is what I want. So we're going to sing for a moment, and then if I can have the ushers help me out and just set up lines. And just put a line of people and anoint them, and then another line. Do it however you need.